Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 9, and 10 and examined what was the judgment of the believers, the Bema seat. We know uh, the judgment seat for the believer is uh, translated in the Greek judgment as Bema, which does not mean, that translation does not mean punishment, damnation, or uh, especially eternal damnation. It is dealing with... Um, the interpretation there is dealing with the rewards, a place of reward. And so I take joy in the fact that as a believer, I'm going to stand at the beaming seat of Christ, not in judgment as for uh, punishment or eternal damnation and cast into the lake of fire. I want you to take joy in that as well. We looked at the fact that the unbeliever, though, will stand at the great white throne judgment. Completely different, completely different time. So the beam seat is the place for the believer to receive his judgment. And we examined when it would take place. We looked at Luke chapter 14, 13 and 14. Then we looked at Revelations chapter 22, verse 12, and some other passages of Scripture, and realized that Scripture is very clear on the fact that it will take place at the rapture, when we meet him in the air. And we'll receive that reward accordingly. Now, does that literally mean the air or in heaven itself? I don't know. And neither probably does anybody else. We just know it's going to take place at that period of time. But before the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So when does it take place? And then we looked at, um, we looked at the simple fact that we are not judged for our sin. We are not judged for our sin. And some people would be alarmed and some people would be relieved. You're alarmed by the idea that we're not judged for our sin, but the passage of Scripture says that for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And it's encouraging to know that the word bad there is translated not to mean evil, but to mean worthless. So we are not judged for our sin, we are judged for the things we've done in the body here on earth that are good and the things that would be considered worthless, not evil. So there can easily be a misunderstanding here, and I don't want that to happen, with the idea that when we were using the illustration of the flame and how the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9-14, through 14, that the things that we've done in the body... That would be considered worthless, of, of, of no good, will be burnt up. Those other things that we have done that are of worth, that are good, will be rewarded accordingly. Either with the five crowns or other rewards that we don't exactly know what those are. They might be levels or degrees in heaven that will be placed. I'm not exactly sure, but I do know this. And it is very clear what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. I know if we are laboring for Jesus Christ, those things with a pure heart and a balanced spirit, those things will not be burnt up. I gave the illustration last week about the display in the hallway and the idea that I put a display together. Look at this. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it beautiful? Man, we're going to have this dinner show. Pat me on the back. What kind of heart do I have? Well, obviously, this is not a heart for Jesus Christ to 
to give glory and honor to God and to fulfill the work that God has given me to do, to, to encourage the saints and the believers and, and to give to those in need through that ministry or through that dinner show. My heart wasn't right. That's when it is burnt up, when your heart's not right. It's burnt up when you're unbalanced. When you take all your time, let me use Vacation Bible School as an illustration, and we plan and we build and we do all these things and we focus on things and building staging and I get my mind and you get your mind off of everything else and that's all you can think about. And then the time comes and we have nothing with meat to present to the children because the focus was all on presentation instead of Jesus Christ. My focus was wrong. You say, well, didn't we do a good work and get all that done? Yes and no. Because again, it's a heart issue. If my heart was set on making the main thing the performance, then it's no longer about Jesus Christ. And I failed and I've, what, I've created what was great and wonderful and precious to, uh, to see souls saved in something for my personal life, my personal reward to be in vain. Will people still come to know Jesus Christ? Yes. His word will not return void. But me, on my level of my reward, I've just taken, I've robbed myself. Because I was focused so much on the wrong things. And that happens all the time. I used the illustration of junior church. We're talking about junior church a moment ago, Pastor Tony was. And how we can get so busy with an hour and a half doing games and having giveaways and packing candy down the throats of children. And then walk away with five minutes of God's word. After an hour and a half, you're unbalanced. You say, well, I was a Sunday school teacher, Jesus. And he says, yeah, I don't know if I would brag on yourself being a Sunday school teacher. Did you see how you handled it? So are you all following me? Now the question comes into play before we go into this, and I know I'm taking a little bit of time, but uh, what are the rewards and the crowns? We talked about that. Well, we know there's, there's five different crowns, and we explained each one of them, but the rewards we'll receive sometimes get a misunderstanding. Now, let me illustrate. If we have a Christmas performance, the drama, and somebody goes out and gives a flyer and says, come out to this performance, and that person comes and somebody greets them at the door, and then somebody seats them in the auditorium, and then there's a performer, an actor that stands before them, and then after that, Pastor Tony, Pastor Tony preaches, and then after that, an altar worker takes them in the room, and they, they get saved. Who will receive the crown for being a soul winner? You say, well, all of them most likely, but I am not God. I am not a righteous judge. All I know is you, your labor is not in vain. And I know that we are commanded, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and get people in and show them the truth of God's word. But in the end, most likely, everybody that's laboring, I know will be rewarded. But who receives that particular crown? Depends on the heart of all those six people that were involved. Do you understand? And with that in mind, it takes us to this next category that I dread so deeply. It is the next judgment. And nobody wants to think about this judgment. I do not want to think about this judgment. But I did, and, I, and, and the more I thought about it, the more I studied, the more it broke me. The second judgment is called the great white throne judgment. It's the judgment for the unbelievers. It's the unbelievers' period of time that they will be judged by Jesus Christ. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. This won't take long because it gets straight to the point in Revelation chapter 20. 
Sometimes I, as a child growing up in the church, would think there's so much complexity to this. It's real simple. He just gets right to it. Jesus doesn't draw it out. He just says, this is the way it is. Take it for what it is. Use it to motivate you to tell others about Jesus Christ. Understanding this judgment will help you give uh, to be a better witness and have more compassion and awareness. Uh, Let's start off by looking first at the title of the judgment and who it is that's envisioned this account uh, of the coming judgment so that we can uh, better understand the circumstances involved. The account takes place in Revelations in uh, chapter 20, and it is recorded by John. Sometimes we refer to him as John the Revelator as he is given the account of the vision that is to come. He sees it, and what a disturbing sight he sees. Revelations 20, verse 11, and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Man, just reading that one verse will put chills up your spine. The throne is described by him. He said it's a great throne. The structure, the the measurement, the height of it, the empowerment of it, the light coming from it, he describes as a great throne. The Greek word there is the same word that is used when declaring a great cry we see in the book of Revelations. And not just that, he said it's a white throne, a brilliant light. Obviously, it probably is white. But the light and the Shekinah glory coming from it is blinding and overwhelming, representing the pure judgment of Jesus Christ in his righteousness. And the throne itself, showing his authority and his kingship and his royalty. This is Jesus, the rightful judge. And that he sits upon. This takes place at a period of time where all, everyone, that has died in their sin without Jesus Christ must stand before. So, with that in mind, let's answer some questions. Let's take some time to answer the questions that most of us as believers may have, and some of you already had these answers, uh, about the judgment by examining these points. When does the judgment take place? Who does the judgment affect? And who is the judgment executed? Who is the judgment executing? Who is it about? Where does it take place? I like things simple, don't you? I want you to really understand. So I'm going to put this as simple as possible because that's the only way I can understand things. When does the judgment take place? Revelations chapter 20, verse 2. Why don't you look there with me very quickly. It's the beginning of that passage of scripture in uh, chapter 20. And he laid hold on the dragon... That old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him in the bottomless pit. This is getting good. This is the best part. And shut him up. Right there. That's enough said, right? He's going to shut Satan up. Literally close it up and literally shut him up. And set a seal upon him. I mean, when Jesus sets a seal, there ain't breaking seals. Not until he chooses to. When he sealed up the ark... It was sealed. It was done. When you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you're sealed. It's done. You're a part of the body of Christ. Sealed up. That he should deceive the nations no more. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little while. Or a little season. 
I go, what? Come on. You're going to let them out? Why would you let them out? Keep them in there. But God has a reason. Let's skip down to the end there. Let's jump down to verse 10. A little further down in chapter 20. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire. Oh, he's back in action. We're going to put him away. Finally. I mean, God has the right to unseal him and release him. But now God is finishing him off. This is it. Verse 10. That he'll deceive them no more and cast him into the lake of fire and brimstone. Where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's done. So when, so when does this take place? When does the judgment take place? The great white throne judgment follows after the return of Jesus Christ. We know that for certain. Because it's after, after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And the millennial reign of Jesus Christ follows the rapture. And not only that, uh, it's after the return of Christ, the rapture, as in Revelation 1, 7 says. But it's after the reign of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ as well, as in Revelation 20, verse 4. It's after the release of Satan from his imprisonment and then the rebellion of man upon the new earth. And of course, Pastor Tony dealt with a lot of that with the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And then he's restricted again with the lake of fire. All of these things have to take place before the final judgment. And the reason for that is because God is summing everything up. He's getting everything taking place Everything's going on and being done with. So, the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 11, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away and there, was not, and there was found no place for them. Everything is getting to the point that everything, including the heaven and earth, will be destroyed, wiped away, no more sin. This is it. This is the final judgment. That's why he's going to wipe away our tears. This is the important because this judgment puts an end to the rebellion of sin and sin of mankind. So, when does it take place? It's following those five events. And those five events are very important. Now, let's go on. Who does the judgment affect? Now, we know when it takes place, but who does this affect? Who is going to be involved in this? What we already know, clear scripture gives us, it's not going to be us. Thank the good Lord above because we've already been judged at the Bema seat. Revelations chapter 20 and verse 11 and 12. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Again, everything's being wiped away. Final event, final judgment. And there was found no place for them. Verse 12, the beginning of verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Now this is the, this is the vision that makes me nervous. This is the part that I get really emotional because I'm thinking of all the people I see every day and the reality that they will stand there if they do not know Jesus Christ. They will stand before the great white throne judgment. The judgment affects the unbeliever only. This is the defendant, not the innocent. That stands before God. Remember the Bema seat's taken place. So here we see in Revelations 20. Who stands there. And we know this if you jump down to the end of chapter 20. I don't want to mess you up. But you got to look at the end of chapter 20. In verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life. Was cast in the lake of fire. All of the unsaved throughout history. Will stand before Jesus Christ. Not the believer. 
because the believers' names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we know for sure that the people standing, the ones that are affected by the judgment, are the unbelievers. Now, he goes a little further and describes it. A chilling thought. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. The dead. He said, I saw the dead there. He said, this is twofold, by the way, the dead that are physically and spiritually dead. Nobody's left alive. Everybody's been wiped out. And here they are standing. If you go to the beginning of the book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, we see the account where, where God approaches Adam and he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof. And the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That death there is talking about physical and spiritual death. We know that living in sin can bring forth physical death. But we also know that damnation lies for all those that do not confess Jesus Christ as their Savior. So those that are standing in judgment here are physically dead, but they're spiritually dead. They're without God. Why do I know that? Because sin affects the body, not just physically, but spiritually. James chapter 1, physically, the Bible Speaks of the physical death, James chapter 1, verse 15. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. It's a natural reaction of sin. Then spiritual death. We know the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That death speaks of uh, spiritual death and death in hell. Now, the Bible goes on to explain. It's not just the dead there, but what kind of dead are there? It says the small. The small is twofold too. The word small means the stage of life, referring to those of a young age, in a statute or a status of life. The stage of life and the status of life. This is when you step back and go, no, this cannot be true. See, the Greek word here used for small is the same Greek word used in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6, speaking of those of a young age. You see, the great white throne judgment does not exclude children. I know that's a chilling thought. I didn't say infants. I'm talking about children that are at the age of understanding. He said, I saw them small. The word small there referring to those of age, young age. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. I said it's the same Greek word used there. But who, but who shall offend one of these little ones? The word little there means small ones. Same word used, speaking of a young age. Which believe in me, this is Jesus speaking, it were better for him that a millstone were hung around about his neck and that he was drowned in the depths of the sea. I like how Jesus spoke there. Don't hold back children from coming to know me. You may as well put a stone around your neck and be thrown in a river and drown. But the chilling thought is that same word, little, is the same Greek word for small at the judgment seat of Christ. Children. You say, I don't want to accept that. I don't either. But then it goes on further. It says that small describes the stage of life in reference of a young age in the status of life referring to those of a low esteem. These are poor kids and rich kids. These are big names and movie stars. These are no names. They're all there. He said, I saw them all. I saw the famous ones and the no-name ones. I saw all these kids standing, 
before God Almighty, Jesus Christ, in his judgment. We know that there was also there standing the great. And the great is twofold as well. The dead, small, and great. The twofold meaning is the same. The stage of life, speaking of those that are of older age, and the stat, uh, status of life, speaking of those of high esteem. Those that are elderly, those that are middle-aged, that do not know Jesus Christ, were seen standing before Jesus. The politicians, the movie stars, the bigwigs, they're all there. The ones struggling just to pay their bills, they were there. All of them. And then it takes us to the next part. We see who's there. But how is the judgment executed? We know when it takes place. We can see who's there. It's the unbeliever from the youngest to the oldest. They're all there from the rich to the poor. But how is the judgment executed? Revelations chapter 20 verse 12. The beginning of verse, uh, the end of verse 12 and then verse 13. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Wow. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the dead in hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Every one of them. There's some things when I read this years ago I'd never understood. A lot of people don't understand. Uh, this, this situation here, this judgment, is not like any other court you have ever seen. There's a judge, but no jury. There's a prosecutor, but no defense. The, the, we, have, we have a situation here that's not like any other courtroom. There's a sentence, but no appeal. What kind of judgment is this? The reason for this is because we're standing, they're standing before a righteous judge. An all-knowing, all-powerful, pure judge with pure judgment. And the judge is Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. That word glory is very important. We'll see that in a minute. And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his, what? Glory. Very important. In John chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus has given the authority to judge every man by the Father. The Father has given all judgment to the Son. All judgment is given to the Son. John chapter 5, verse 27, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of what? Son of man. One reason he is appointed to judge mankind is because he was a man on earth. He was 100% man and 100% God. Those that mocked him at the foot of the cross will bow before him. Those that denied him and said, there's no way you're the son of God. You're the son of Joseph and that's it. Will kneel before him. Remember, the Bible says, in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Him being Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 and 11 says, that at the name of who? Jesus, every knee shall bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth. Every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess him as Jesus. Now, here it is. He's the judge. And now he's going to judge the people. And the evidence is rolled out. Why would you need evidence at this, at this courtroom? 
at this judgment seat. Why? It's an interesting thing. Remember the Bible says the books were open? Why were books open? Where is the point of all these books being at the judgment? I don't understand that. Well, when you begin to read, you begin to learn really quick why Jesus did this. Why were the unbelievers being given the right to appeal? This is why. First, to declare their works of righteousness. First reason why. They want to declare their works of righteousness. Remember Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name what? Done many wonderful works. And then while I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Key word here, work. They're standing before the judge. And the judge pulls out the books. And the books are open. And when the books are open, the evidence is revealed. The scales are there. And God says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to declare your goodness. Because you didn't want mine. You didn't want my grace. You didn't want my righteousness. So give it to me. Because I am God. I am all-knowing. I am sovereign. And I've wrote down everything you've ever did in your whole life. Good and bad. Billions and billions of people's records are in heaven. And then it begins. The word here works. And he said in verse 23. And then will I profess unto them. I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. The unbeliever pleads for his work of righteousness, but Jesus declares his works as iniquity, meaning works that break the law of God. You realize when they say, we did many wonderful works, and he said, they're works of iniquity. He's saying to them, your works are your righteousness. You are trying to fulfill the law as the rich young ruler did in the word of God, where he stood before Jesus and said, how can I go to heaven? Paraphrasing. He said, well, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done this. Isn't that great? And Jesus said, well, you know, if you're going to go by your own works, let's see how good you are. Go sell everything you have and follow me. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm a good guy. But really sell everything? My palace? My Mercedes? You, what? Mm. And here they are standing before God again, just like the rich young ruler. And they plead. To him and say, hey, have I not done many wonderful works? And Jesus says, open the books. Tell me about your works. Here they are. Yeah, I got them here. Every one of them. Tell me. I'm giving you an opportunity. Every one of your works, good and evil, are here. They say, yeah, I went to Fellowship Baptist Church. I know you were a member. A member when you got baptized. Yes. You were a Sunday school teacher. Maybe. Maybe you just showed up for Easter. Maybe. The evidence is there. They're declaring their work. But the problem is... We cannot fulfill the law. James chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend one of these points, is guilty of them all. And if you're guilty of them all, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but I am relying through the faith of Jesus Christ, his righteousness. If I'm relying on my righteousness, I'm relying on the idea that I can fulfill and keep the law on my own. But God says that's not possible. And that's not possible to ever get into heaven with your own good works. 
Not by my works of righteousness. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness, what we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By washing, regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy, the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in verse 7, that being justified by his, what? Grace. We should be made according to the hope of eternal life. Only by grace. It's almost like Jesus is entertaining us. I mean, he's just saying, go ahead, give your best shot. You did it all your life. Do you ever walk up to somebody and say, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you going to heaven? Oh, yeah, I, I, I hope so. What does that mean, I hope so? Yeah, I hope so. I, I mean, I'm a good person. I do good things. I try really hard. I, I, I'm a, I do good works. And they're going to do the same standing before Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift to God, not of works lest any man should boast. Only by grace we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us can stand in the presence of God with our good works, worthy enough to shift the scales in our favor. The grace of God outweighs our works and our righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness and our good works will not get us in heaven. And then they stand before him, and he says, it's only by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. You know the Hebrew word for grace, me and Pastor Joe were talking about this word, is wait. Why? Because his grace outweighs everything else. Your righteousness, you'll have your chance. You can declare your goodness, but his grace is the only thing sufficient to save man from their sins. The problem is, they're going to stand there with hopes that they made it through. And to receive the degree of punishment is next. He says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to flee. I'm going to give you the opportunity to give the evidence. But in the long run, here's the bottom line. It's your righteousness, not mine. It's your works. And nobody is good enough to go into heaven except by my grace. And he said, and through this, your works will determine the degree of punishment you will receive. The Bible makes it clear that we are those that are unbelievers will receive their punishment according to the amount of truth they received and rejected. Receiving the truth. Jesus warned the Pharisees in Luke chapter 20 and verse 47. Punishment will be very severe for you. Proclaiming your goodness. Proclaiming yourself to be of high esteem. But you missed it. The Bible says rejecting truth and speaking of the cities that rejected Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 11. They, he says, Sodom and Gomorrah are in better shape than you because you've seen great miracles. And if they would have seen the great miracles as you have, they would have put sackcloth and ashes on and repented. But because of this, your judgment shall be great. The degrees of hell vary according to your deeds and your works. Not just that. But according to the light that you rejected and the degree of it. A lot of people mock Christ. A lot of people turn their back on God after hearing the simple truths. They do. But there's some that never heard the truth. They're not going to be on the same level. But those that do hear the truth, all of them are condemned to hell. But people like this man that knows the truth. Now... <laughs> 
don't know about the elephants on Noah's Ark, but the elephant in the room in 2014 is that we are now a full four centuries removed from the scientific revolution. Four centuries after Copernicus, after the time humans realized that through science, we could actually get a real answer to almost every question about our world, like where does the sun go at night? <laughs> and why does disease spread so quickly on a cruise ship? <laughs> and speaking of cruise ships, you know, I don't mind that the Noah story is impossibly childish. Okay, I do mind. I, what am I saying? I mind very much. I mean, seriously, people, you believe a man, Noah, lived to be 900 years old. That's what the Bible says. And when he was 500, he decided to have three kids, just like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and when he was 600, he and his three 100-year-old sons... <laughs> built a boat onto which, in one day, they loaded over three million animals, all of which were apparently indigenous to within five miles of the boat. <laughs> but get this, what the Christians who are now protesting this movie are upset about is that it doesn't take the biblical story literally enough. They're mad because this made-up story doesn't stay true to their made-up story. But the thing that's really disturbing about Noah isn't the silly. It's that it's immoral. It's about a psychotic mass murderer who gets away with it, and his name is God. He's not going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name did many wonderful works? He's going to say nothing but bow the knee. And when he bows the knee, his degree of punishment will be greater because he lives in America and he knows the truth and he knows the gospel and the great white throne judgment will take place. And the Bible says in Revelations 21, verse 8, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all those liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The verdict, the sentence, for those standing trial is Revelations 20 and verse 15. And whosoever was not found, written in the book of life, was cast in the lake of fire. Will your name be in the book of life? There is one encouraging note that I love here. I said there will be small standing before the great white throne. But there will not be infants. Because books cannot be opened for an infant. They have no record. They have nothing. I take encouragement in the fact that my miscarriage of my little one is in heaven. And some of you that lost an infant are in heaven. We serve a just God, not an angry, hateful God, as some might think. He's a just God. He's a loving God. But he's a God of wrath and judgment as well. But righteous judgment. And it all take place at the great white throne judgment. 